episode of Shades Midweek, we have conversations about theology, culture, and all things Shades. I am Brad Brown, joined in the studio by John Mark DeRoe and Andrew Thompson. Andrew, how are you doing today? Hey guys, I'm doing good. Thanks for uh, inviting me back on the podcast. Yeah, this yeah, is your, man. This is your third, third, third time? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of wild, yeah. You're a veteran. Yeah, it's like in SNL, the Five Timers Club. You yeah, when they come out, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they make jokes about it. Right. Yeah. It feels it feels good that you're here. Feels Thanks, like home. Man. Feels right. Wow, that's you're that's becoming very an on, I mean, you're basically an honorary member now of the honorary host of the show. Really. Wow. <laughs> a little color commentary, just a little, <laughs> yeah, yeah, little jokes, a little, <laughs> some insight here and there that <laughs> sometimes su- that surprises people. Sometimes. <laughs> Cool. It's a good value. It's a low price, but uh, you know, bring the value. You know, <laughs> love it. JM, how are you doing? I'm good, man. We're uh, two weeks into whole thirty. Wow. Wow. And we're we've been staying strong. We're actually past the two week mark. I think today is day sixteen. So dumb question. Is it thirty thirty days? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I thought so, but. So halfway. Just, we're, we're past the halfway mark. How at do this you point. feel? Do you feel? I feel uh, good. Yeah. Uh, Whole30, basically, you focus on uh, healthy, well, I say health, proteins, so you can still eat bacon, and I've had a ton of bacon. Wow. Because because it's permissible. That sounds amazing. I've had a ton of that. You can eat potatoes, sweet potatoes, you can eat um, veggies and fruits, but pretty much other than that, that's it. There's no sugar, well, no added sugar. Um, that is to something, but you can't have, there's no snack food. There's no fast food, nothing processed. So it's very clean eating, but they also eliminate a lot of things that are actually healthy that can be healthy for you. So we're not eating dairy, um, which is kind of tough because I love cheese. So, but I I do feel good though. I've lost some weight. Um, and I have, I feel like I have more energy every day than I normally do. Like there was a time before I started Whole30 where some days I felt a little hazy, not from coronavirus or anything like that, but <laughs> just from eating fast food, basically. Yeah. You know, eating that that big hamburger and fries for lunch and then getting that hangover in the afternoon mm. from that. So yeah. that's kind of gone now. How are Moses and Zion doing with it? They, oh, they're eating normal. <laughs> they're eating in our faces. It's been terrible. <laughs> have you guys seen Have you guys seen this Netflix show called Alone? I've heard about it, the Survivor yeah. type show. So no. some of these people basically just eat rabbits and stuff. And yeah, it's like lose, a carnivore diet, they right? They lose yeah. a lot of weight for sure. Like what's weird is wow. that this one guy was catching rabbits like nothing. He was just crushing it. The rabbit game. <laughs> and he, but so it's it's not great to lose a lot of weight because then you're starving and you're gonna right. you're gonna lose the game, you know. You don't want to <laughs> starve. Game of life. If you starve, they <laughs> is this Survivor? Is this what the show is? It's Survivor, but much more like, but like real. But like Bear Grylls style, though, right? Yeah, like no Survivor camera man. crews. You film yourself with oh, a little wow. GoPro. Oh man! So there's no one out there. I can get nauseous watching some of those shows sometimes. And, and some of them get sick, and they film it, and uh, you're like, Ugh, I don't want to see that. Really. But you like it? You would recommend it? It's kind of cool though. Okay. Yeah, some of the characters are some are weird, and then some are very cool. But anyway, there, this one guy catches a lot of rabbits. But what's weird is that he's constantly losing weight, and it's because there's not enough fat in a oh, lean, yeah. right. a lean mammal. You're just eating meat. You're actually oh. like you need that fat to get that uh, carbohydrates. Right. It's wow. interesting. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, I'm glad to be back on the podcast. <laughs> yes, glad to have. It's good to have you back. You were yeah. gone last week. I was, and uh, I was uh, berated by John, Mark, and Jonathan. And Jonathan was like, "Oh man, you're going to get me pretty good this week because I'm not going to be on the podcast." But you know what? I'm not going to. Okay, I'm going to. You're above I'm, reproach. I'm not going to sink to his level, and I'm going to wish him well. On his family vacation, Jonathan, <laughs> I'm wishing you well. Now I realize I, I haven't been caught up on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> didn't I'm get just going to laugh like I know what's <laughs> You going and on. everyone else didn't get the joke. <laughs> yeah, whoops. But, no, I am excited to be on the podcast today. I'm excited about what we are talking about today. Oh, man. With Jonathan being gone, we can do whatever we want. Yes. And so, today, we are going to talk about a movie. We are going to talk about a movie. The movie is... A Hidden Life. It was written and directed yep. by Terrence Malick. It's a movie that we've all seen and loved, and we've had a lot of conversations about it. That's why we, that's why we brought Andrew on. And so it's a movie that um, has a lot of Christian themes. It's a movie about the Christian faith in a lot of ways. It's a movie about suffering. It's a movie about uh, ordinary life, and so we thought it would be fun to get together and just to reflect on the movie and the story, and we'll kind of see where it goes. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And uh, in case you haven't seen the movie, which I'm assuming you haven't, because I don't think a lot of people saw <laughs> it, um, there will be spoilers in this episode. Oh, yes, for sure. Yes, totally. We're going to talk a lot about the film, and it is based on a true story. So you can actually look up the story yourself and kind of see how, how that plays out. And we're going to talk about all that here on the episode. Yes. yes. So if you don't want any spoilers, stop now. Go and watch the movie. But maybe I can say this. <laughs> if you're not someone that's into, what should we say, an artsy film, is that yeah, fair? Yeah, this is, this is cinema for sure. <laughs> um, Use maybe. the word film, definitely. <laughs> film. Not a this movie. Is, this is not... <laughs> Bad Boys it's for not, Life. It's not the <laughs> Avengers. It's this a, is it's not a, it's a, a Marvel movie. It's yeah. a different vibe. Yeah. Um, so if you're not someone... It's not would, short either. Yeah, it's not short. Yeah, not it comes in... Watch. Not a short film. It comes in at yeah. 174 minutes. So <laughs> six minutes shy of three hours. Yes. So How many people were in the theater when you saw it? Because oh, for me, I think maybe there was five of us. Yeah. Oh, there, really? Yeah, there was, there was like three or four. In yeah. When I went... I, th- I went actually with Bill Ferris, and oh, yeah. we went to the Summit. Did you guys go to the Summit? Yeah, yeah. I think that's the only yep, theater the it played at yeah, here in Birmingham. Yeah, for three days or something. Yeah, and we went that, that weekend it came out. There was probably 20 people in the theater. Okay. There was a group of young people in front of us, and when I got there, they were all talking about Malik's work, so they wow. were like big okay. Malik oh, fans yeah. right. that yeah, were yeah. there. So. so maybe if you're someone that wouldn't normally watch this film, maybe you listen to the podcast and it might pique your interest. You might kind of know what to expect and maybe you go in and would have a different viewing experience than you would otherwise. For sure. Yeah. So, well, where to begin? So much to talk about. But I think it would be good to begin maybe by talking a little bit about Terrence Malick and his work. So, JM, you want to 
Yeah. Started off. So I pulled up a trusty source in Wikipedia here, <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk. <laughs> I'm not going to go too deep. There's The thing about Terrence Malick is that, and I was talking to Brad about this earlier, is that he kind of has this reputation of a recluse, but in a lot of ways he's actually kind of just anti-celebrity, anti-being in the media spotlight a little bit, so he doesn't grant a lot of interviews. Therefore, there's just not a lot of information out there. Uh, about yeah. him, but I remember looking on YouTube for interviews. And oh, there's, dude, there's nothing. There's wow. nothing. Really? There's yeah. nothing, dude. It's it's insane. He's a mystery. Um, so, real quick, so Terrence Malick uh, was born in Illinois, although there's even conflicting reports on where he was Shut born up. and even what year he was born in. So, like, peop- some people don't even. Really is he know. is he an angel? Are we <laughs> are we in a touched by an angel episode? Um. He attended St. Stephen's Episcopal uh, School in Austin, Texas, while his family lived in Oklahoma. Uh, he had two younger brothers. Um, when he went to college, he received a B.A. in philosophy from Harvard, so he studied a ton of philosophy. Wow, uh, I did not know that. He was really into Kierkegaard, Heidegger. Um, so that's kind of what his background was. When he left there, he went to the... A newly formed AFI Conservatory, the American Film Institute, in 1969, and he directed a short film there. And he met a lot of uh, he met like Jack Nicholson there, and a lot of lot of other people that mm. would go on to be pretty major players in Hollywood. He actually wrote this is kind of random. He wrote an early uncredited draft of the movie Dirty Harry, starring Clint Eastwood, which mm. is totally. Out of his realm, I feel like, but yeah, very different. I don't know. I guess he was just trying things like early on. Um, so that leads us to kind of his film career. So Malik began his career as part of the new Hollywood film making wave with the films Badlands in 1973, which is awesome. It's about a murderous couple on the run in the 1950s American Midwest, starring Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek. So that's a great one if you want to brush up on some old Malik. And then he made a film in 1978 titled Days of Heaven starring Richard Gere about a love triangle between two laborers and a wealthy farmer during the First World War. Hmm. Um, and so this is where things get interesting. So he puts out two films and they're like critically acclaimed in the 70s and then he doesn't release another film for 20 years wow <laughs> yeah i was about to say he hasn't put out a lot of of films really huh and for being so well known right and i was trying to figure out you know what was he doing for 20 years so i was deep diving on the internet and i'm not going to go <laughs> too deep into this but there are reports that he was still working during this time that there were many films that he was trying to get um financial support for and even got you know he was writing scripts and different things like that he was there was actually he was making a film about the elephant man which david lynch actually made um and there were some other movies that he was attached to that fell through for different reasons so it wasn't like he quit filmmaking at that point it Mm -hmm. was just like I don't know. He's just an interesting guy. Like he didn't feel the pressure to continue to put out films. You know, you have some guys like, um, like a Clint Eastwood or even a Martin Scorsese that are putting out a lot of films. They have a large filmography, and that's just not the case with Malik. He takes a lot of time in between projects. So 
he returns with the World War II film The Thin Red Line in ni- 98, which is um, is a really beautiful film. That was the first one that I saw that he did, I think. That may have okay. been the first Malick film that I saw, too, was The Thin Red Line. And I didn't really know what was happening. It was definitely different, but I didn't yeah. know who he was or what. Was, yeah. Yes, because there's a lot of big stars in that yes, movie. It's like Clooney, and it's a crazy cast. Yes. But like Clooney's barely even in it. Yeah, it's no <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. No, it's not. It's a war movie, but it's very dreamlike, and yeah. there's a lot of voiceovers and just a lot of that kind of introspection. Or yes. Like, yeah, it's interesting. There's uh, there. Well, this is a tangent, but there's an explosions okay. in the sky song that has one of the dialogue, uh, oh yeah, kind of passages from that movie. I think it's Woody Harrelson's voice. Mm-hmm. But it's like very, it's very intense. You know, explosions in the sky can oh, get yeah. really intense. It's like one of those moments in, on their albums, and it's like Woody Harrelson being like, "What's killing us? What's what's this evil <laughs> behind every rock?" You know, and all this stuff. <laughs> and it's like, I'm like, what? But that's like, that's like very much a Terrence Malick thing. Is kind of a uh, narrator's voice. So you're yes. kind of inside a character's head, yeah, mm-hmm. and then you're seeing this footage but you're hearing their thoughts and it's, it's real interesting. It's a very poetic yes. kind of a uh, feel. Yeah. yeah. And he did that from the very beginning of his career. Like the first two films he made in the seventies, there's a lot of narration. And, and so it's just his part of his style. It's just yeah. what he does. Um, he made a film in 2005 called the new world, which is a retelling of uh, the founding of the Jamestown, Virginia settlement, um, oh, wow. which I've never seen, but I've heard it's amazing. It's, it's a very long movie as well. Um, he gets more experimental with his next film, which I know Brad loves this movie, and I'm sure Andrew does too, The Tree of Life. Yes. Uh, starring Brad Pitt, Sean Penn, and Jessica Chastain. That film chronicles the origins and meaning of life by way of a middle-aged man's childhood memories of his family living in 1950s Texas, and it's interspersed with imagery of the origins of the known universe, the creation of life and Earth. I mean, there's some beautiful scenes in that movie. Yes. The first time I saw the movie, I fell asleep. And, <laughs> and I, a friend showed, uh, showed it to me, and he's, I mean, he's super into film. I think he studied it in undergrad. And yeah. so he was like, you got to watch this movie. And I just wasn't ready for it. I didn't know what to expect, and I was out. But then after hearing him talk about it some more, I went back and watched it, and it's beautiful. And I've actually used um, a scene from the movie as an illustration in the sermon. Right. Uh, well, I won't get into it here, but he, he essentially takes this piece from the book of Job and brings it into the film to speak about suffering and loss, and it's beautiful. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is – He's talking about the suffering. I forget what she says. You probably remember what Jessica Chastain. She has a line, and then it immediately goes to creation. Yeah, and almost it, this like idea of like in our suffering, we should turn to like worship. We should turn to worship God and like all the things that He's done. You yes, know, it's, totally. It's, it's very intense. Yeah, she loses a child, and then she's like, "God, where are you?" And, and then it goes to the creation of everything. Yes. This like 20 minute scene that yeah, just dude. feels totally out of place in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. the movie either begins or ends, I can't remember, with a quote from Job. Yes. And yes. Um, it's God saying to Job like, hey, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? And in the film, uh, 
it just puts before you the wisdom of God and kind of how Job doesn't get this simple answer to suffering. And so he's re- like he's reflecting on all of that and bringing that into the film. And it's a film where there's Brad Pitt. And you're just <laughs> yeah. like, what and is Sean Penn? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, big stars. Yeah. So that yeah. was pretty cool. Just going through his filmography, though, that specific movie, I think, has its own kind of like a cult following. Like it's definitely yeah. one of the more like if you say the you know the name Terrence Malick, I feel like that specific movie comes up a lot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's a little bit of an example of if you like that movie, then you like Terrence Malick, and if you hate that movie, you hate <laughs> Terrence. It's kind of like you know yeah, yeah, an yeah. example of no, one of totally. his most famous ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after that, he continues with more non-linear narrative storytelling and he makes three movies pretty close to one another to the wonder night of cups and song to song. I think you can watch some of those on Amazon prime, but they are very non-linear. Wait, what do you mean by that? (laughs) There is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in those films, like I've seen night of cups, which, which Christian Bale is in that. And there's a great cast surrounding him. I think Rooney Mara is in it. uh, Natalie Portman, I think, and um, it's just sort of like this story. It almost it's almost like a like a fable that they build it around, and it's just this man sort of walking through his life, um, almost like in this dreamlike state, like in this sleepiness, and he's trying to wake up from from this state that he finds himself in. But it's it's done, you know, it's typical Malick fashion, tons of voiceovers and yeah. just mm. tons of editing and you, sometimes you don't know what's happening. <laughs> you're, like, yeah. you're kind of brought in to you're the middle brought of the into scene scenes, and then you're yes. taken out and there's no resolution. Yes. And then brought into this new scene in yeah. the middle of a conversation and you're I would kind of say, like, wait, what was going yeah. on? What was the point of that? Is that good? Is that bad? Like you're <laughs> Right. Like song to song, I I don't even know if I finished it because <laughs> it is long, but it was good and it has famous people as like Ryan Gosling. Yeah, uh, it has uh, Michael Fassbender. Fassbender's in it. Yeah. Oh wow. But in a way, it almost feels a little bit more like almost like a ballet or something where it's like you're watching something that is like like beautifully choreographed and interesting, and there's obviously like themes going on. But it's not like a storyline where you're like, where you know everything that you don't really know exactly what's happening. You just yeah. kind of see a little bit of good and a little bit of evil and a little bit of emotions. And like, so yeah, it's definitely very different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then he makes A Hidden Life, uh, which is the film we're going to talk about today in this podcast. Yes. Um, do we want to talk about A Hidden Life? Do we want to talk about the plot? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the plot. Give everyone kind of a sense of what's going on in the film, what the setting is. Okay. So, uh, A Hidden Life, 2019 historical drama film. So this is based on a true story, actually. I think it's the first time that Malick has done this, um, pulling from a true story. Um, starring August Deal and Valerie Packner, which I've seen August Deal in a Tarantino film, but that's the only yeah. thing that I've seen him in. Mm. I, have not, I had not seen the actress before. The film depicts the life of Franz Jagerstatter, I guess yeah. is the best way to say his name. <laughs> I'm probably going to butcher that. Yeah, works for me. <laughs> An Austrian farmer and devout Catholic who refused to fight for the Nazis in World War II. Um, the film had its world premiere at the 72nd Cannes Film Festival in May of last year, and it was theatrically released 
in December 13th, 2019. So here's the general plot. Um, so you can get an idea of what, what we're going to be talking about because we're going to be diving into different scenes and things like that. So the setting is Austria in 1939. Peasant farmer Franz Jagestadter, born and brought up in the small village of St. Radegund, is working his land when war breaks out. Married to Franziska, the couple are important members of their tight-knit rural community. They live a simple life with the passing years marked by the arrival of the couple's three girls. Franz is called up for basic training in the Germ- in uh, Germany and is away from his beloved wife and children for months. Eventually, when France surrenders, it seems the war might end soon. He is sent back from training. He and his wife farm the land and raise their children amid the mountains and valleys of Upper Austria. As the war continues, Franz and the other able-bodied men in the village are called up to fight. Their first requirement is to swear an oath of allegiance to Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich. Despite pressure from the mayor and his farm neighbors who increasingly ostracize him and his family, and from the Bishop of Salzburg, Jagestadter refuses. His decision will mean arrest and even death. Franz is taken to prison and waits months for his trial. During his time in prison, he and Fanny write letters to one another to give each other strength. Fanny is eventually able to visit her husband in Berlin. After months of brutal incarceration, his case goes to trial. He is found guilty and sentenced to death. Despite many opportunities to sign the oath of allegiance and the promise of non-combatant work, Franz continues to stand up for his beliefs and is executed by the Third Reich in August of 1943, while his wife and three daughters survive. Woof. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a chick flick. Although when I was re-watching it last night, Ashley did sit down and watch probably an hour and a half of it with me, and then she went to bed because it was getting late, (laughs) and it's three (laughs) hours. (laughs) But hey, that's a start. But she did like, she was enjoying it though. Yeah. Man, how excited were you when you saw the preview before this even came out? Were you pretty pumped? Oh, yeah. so, so excited. Just knowing who Terrence Malick is and then seeing the subject matter and then being like, you know, I was I was definitely a lot of anticipation. And I feel like when I saw it, when I finally got a chance to see it, like I felt like it delivered on everything that I wanted and more. Hoped and dreamed. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It was like <laughs> powerful. It was very oh. powerful. Totally. To see it in the theater and just, I think it was part of it when something's three hours long, there's something about being trapped in a theater <laughs> that you're not going to like take a pause. Like you just, you just yeah. sit there and let it hit you. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought it was like really like incredible. Yeah. 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 So maybe we, be- we can begin by talking about some of the cinematography in the movie because wa- uh, watching the trailer, and seeing all of these beautiful scenes yeah. that are in the trailer, I just remember thinking, oh, this is going to be incredible because it is a story about suffering. And it is a story about kind of the ordinary day in and day out life of these people in some ways. And so that to be set next to this beautiful setting in Austria in the hills and the mountains and this luscious beautiful farmland is this very interesting uh what 
stark difference maybe yeah well and that difference is even heightened when you spend about roughly half of the first part of the movie in that setting and then as Franz goes to prison he's literally locked in these cells concrete cells yeah the contrast couldn't be more explicit I feel like and you feel the despair and the loneliness after being in that yeah you know Eden like place. Yeah, which there's is a Garden kind of, of Eden kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Austria sure. is beautiful. I oh, mean, so the mountains beautiful. and like the grasses and the yeah. wheat. You pull know, up, if you're houses. listening, just pull up a trailer and you'll see what we're talking <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, why we're going on, on this. Yeah, yeah you, that would be a good place to start. Just watch the trailer. Yeah. Get a feel for it. Yeah, the, the he filmed a lot of it with wide, pretty much the whole film is made with these wide camera lenses so it gives you this really interesting perspective whether it's a wide shot of uh, the characters and the setting and the backdrop or you get a close-up intimate shot of someone's face the wide angle does a lot of things it make it it makes you feel things very intimately so you feel the stress and anxiety of the decision that he's making and trying you know balancing that with his family um, but then you also feel like the romanticism of their relationship as well is shot really well. So the whole thing yeah. is very intimate in that yeah. because of that. And they're using a steady cam too. So it, it, I don't know, it has a good feel to it. Yeah, I feel like it definitely like pulls in the viewer. This is a terrible analogy, but it's almost like when you're playing a video game and it's first person shooter, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like whenever you turn, <laughs> yeah. you turn, it's like, it brings you in to the scene in a way. And and so like the way that he like uh, the camera is like very low to the grass when they're on, on the ground or there's like a scene where they're dancing and the camera moves in and zooms in on someone's, it's like you're walking in and walking through the scene yourself. Yeah. So you, you feel, you know, you're able to put, put yourself in their shoes a little bit. Right. Um, and, and again, I think the beauty of their village and kind of that garden of Eden kind of vibe it 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 sets kind of like the stakes for what his sacrifice will be yes so you realize what he's giving up and what his choice when he's when he thinks like should i do the right thing or the wrong thing Mm -hmm. you you understand like what he has to lose and it's yes it's a beautiful place that is on the line you know totally um and jm maybe you can talk a little bit more about this because you know more about cinematography than i do but there's so much that is communicated in the film through um, just where the camera is, uh, the angle of the camera. Um, there are scenes yeah. where there's no dialogue, and yeah. yet y- these scenes are very emotional scenes, like you were saying, that you feel like you're in the midst of, and there are scenes where you feel like so much has happened, even though the actors didn't right. say anything. <laughs> Is that just Malik and his genius? I mean, what is that? Okay, so what's interesting is I I listened to some interviews with the two main actors because they're really the only ones giving interviews on this movie. You can't find Malik. So they're talking about it. They spent eight weeks in production filming. Majority of that, I guess, was in kind of in on location. I think they shot it in northern Italy. Um, but but you basically have what they described was number one. They said it was one of the fir- like the main actor August. He said that it was the first movie that he had actually filmed that they the way they filmed it was in chronological order of the way it appears 
in the movie. Wow, that's cool. So he talks about being in the prison and how much he missed, like just himself, not the character, but himself missing, like tending to those fields. Wow. And how he felt the isolation and loneliness and the displacement of all that. Wow. So there's there's some interesting kind of things that happen with that. But what Malik would do, what they said he would do is he films pretty much constantly throughout the day. So they have they'll get a sheet that says like, these are the scenes we're gonna do today, and there is a script. Um, this is like one of his first, I would say, films in a while that has like a linear narrative, even though the mm. way that it's edited and shot, it can feel non-linear at times. Um, but it does have a narrative to it, um, like a beginning, a middle, and end, essentially. And But they would film for sometimes up to 45 minutes at a time. And a lot of that was just the actor. He just let the actors uh, just do whatever they want. So sometimes wow. they would be wow. laying in the field. Um, he said that there was a there was a point one day where he fell asleep. He took a nap in the meadow, and when he woke up, the camera was filming him taking wow. a nap in the meadow. <laughs> so so Malik tries to capture a lot of mundane, ordinary moments yeah. that happen within someone's life, and he edits that into a film so that it does feel that way. Like sometimes it feels like so much is happening, but yet nothing is happening. There's no dialogue at all, but there's so much being said through uh, characters' faces. And, yes, you know, so. It's it's definitely it's just not a lot of directors do that. It's not a very common thing where they would just say, "Hey, today um, we're going to do this scene. We'll probably do it again tomorrow, and we'll do it in a different location." So sometimes you'll see like there's like uh, dialogue with a scene, mm-hmm. and it's like in one locale, and then like there's a cut, and it feels like they're actually somewhere else. But they they would like film that same scene multiple times to get different fills and takes, and he would do that. He would just kind of edit them together wow. to make it. So yeah, that's a lot of what he does for sure. To to me, there's something about that style that kind of feels like a memory, if that makes sense. Like yeah. the yeah. way I watch it is the way that it seems like if you're thinking back in your life, mm. you remember someone's uh, facial expression. You remember like some of the words they said, but it's all kind of jumbled together in kind of an experience. Yeah, mm. and, and that's you, kind and of how it feels when I watch it. Yeah, yeah and you would remember you would remember it just dropping in at a certain point. Right. Like you wouldn't remember the beginning of something that happened, but maybe you would remember something that happened in the middle of you know, right. And you know the significance around that frown or that smile, but it's not like you know a a scene of a movie necessarily. It's more like pieces of things, you know? Yeah. yeah. Cu- couple of small details I wanted to mention. Mm-hmm. The courtroom where uh, where he's getting sentenced to death, that yeah. was the actual courtroom where Franz actually was sentenced wow. to death. Wow. So yeah, this is a true story. I think yes. we said that. We yes. Said yeah. that. But that's cool. And the letters are preserved are they i think those those some of those letters were the that they read dialogue from i I believe those were actual letters between franz and his wife when he's in prison yeah yeah and some of the i don't know exactly where this was but i they did say that they filmed some at his house too and so uh the house that he was actually at oh my god i don't think the whole time they filmed there but there was maybe some scenes 
And while they filmed, his daughters were actually there on set for the filming. Wow. So they got to meet his daughters that are still alive. I mean, this is wild. That's wild. It's wild. That's in the movie, we, his daughters yeah. are, are three young girls. Yes. And that's something that's con- constantly said before you in the film is what he's giving up. Yeah. And how he's uh, going to be leaving his wife to run this farm. And even though her sister's there to help her, he's leaving his wife and he's leaving his three little girls to do this. And the, the scenes of him interacting with the girls that are very common, very ordinary, them all interacting as a family, just brings this weight to what he's doing. And it's so powerful. So the fact that the, the girls were actually, I'm tearing up just thinking about it. I can't imagine <laughs> being those girls and, and going back and seeing that. So we, so I don't want to mess up our flow here. No, no, no. Go ahead. But I get so so basically, you set this scene with this beautiful countryside Mm -hmm. and this idyllic life, and then the main conflict comes in with this idea of like, is he going to, or am I? Have we got? You're good. Go for it. Go for it. It's it's this idea. So he's a citizen of Austria. Yes. Um, and he's just a regular citizen. He doesn't pers- he's not Jewish. He doesn't personally have anything that he should be worried about losing right. if he just goes along with the flow. Yes. But uh, he is in conflict because he does not agree with uh, the stance of the Nazis that yes. have now taken over Austria. Yes. And so as a citizen of Austria... Everyone is called to serve in the army. He knows yes. that his moment is about to come where he's going to be drafted in. Yep. So he's thinking about it a little bit before the draft comes in. Then he officially is drafted. Yes. And the idea of serving in the army, you have to swear allegiance to Hitler. Yes. And then you join basically the Nazi army. Right. Yes. And so his decision is, should I do this? And, you know, there's the idea of, of you know, fighting for your country. Everyone else is doing it. Everyone in, in your town is doing it everyone you grew up with has the pressure even you know we'll get into this probably also but the priest does not dissuade him against it you know his uh um the the religion the people around him are not saying are not standing with him he's kind of alone in this decision totally and so the decision is um what is right what is the right thing to do right and and they you know, people that disagree with them, they say, what difference will it make? Oh, man. Which is powerful. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, you know, do you do the right thing because it makes a difference or or out of obedience? You mm. know, it's kind of a big theme. Totally. Uh, but anyway, yeah, you guys get talk more about that. But the dilemma, I feel like it's very much an internal dilemma of a person thinking, like, what is right? How should I live, you know, in a moment where... Uh, everyone is doing one thing, you know? Yes. Well, and I think this will get us into talking about some of the scenes of the movie. So I totally agree with you. That was one thing that stood out to me. The question that keeps coming back to him over and over again is, um, or maybe I should say this, the question that's posed to the viewer is, does any of his suffering matter? Yes, yeah. Does it mean anything and so we were talking about the priest when he tells the priest the priest says don't you think you should consider your actions for your family you'll be shot your sacrifice will benefit no one his sister-in-law says he's doing this because of his pride 
The mayor of the city says that he's a traitor to his race, uh, that he'll be hanged, his wife and children will be left alone, his uh, mother will die. The military officer at the first prison that he goes to says, what's your defiance doing? Will it come to anything? No one knows what goes on behind these walls. Uh, then the lawyer that's assigned to him to defend him says, hey, if you just serve as a medic, then you won't have to find anyone you have to kill, and you'll actually be helping people, and then this all will be over. And then he goes to the trial, and the judge says, do you think anything you're doing is going to change the course of the war? He goes, uh, that anyone outside the court will hear you at all? And then uh, finally, the last opportunity that he has in a room with his lawyer and the priest and his wife and some guards to pledge loyalty to Hitler and to avoid death, um, the accusations intensify. And they say, you're not doing any good to anyone. This is the last chance you're going to have. And the priest says, uh, don't you see what, what's coming? Listen, God doesn't care what you say. It's only what's in your heart. The war will be over soon. So it's almost mm. like this. If you just will pledge your loyalty to Hitler, then you probably won't have to fight. You maybe just serve as a medic. You might not even have to serve at all. But like, look at what you're going to be doing to your family, so on and so forth. And so there's this voice throughout the theme. And I wanted to go through all those lines because it just, I mean, you feel it in the yes. movie as you're yeah. watching just over and over and o over again that his suffering doesn't matter, that no one sees it, and it's such a great cost. And yet, throughout the movie, there are also these small hints, and they're very subtle. It's not as explicit, but the, that isn't the case, that his suffering does matter. So uh, during the... A military tribunal where he is uh, sentenced to death before he's sentenced to death he goes in the chamber with the judge and uh, has an interaction with him and you can tell that the judge is shaken by his conviction and you can tell that the judge himself maybe is feeling conviction that he's the judge is doing the wrong thing but he's too scared to do anything different differently and at the end of the scene, the judge goes and he sits in the chair where Franz was sitting and he puts his hands in his lap in the exact way that Franz, who is handcuffed, has his hands in his lap and he just stares off into the distance. Wow. And you just kind of see the effect that that interaction had on the judge. Um, when he leaves uh, Tegel Prison, the last prison that he was in, to be killed, uh, there's this guard there that was just abusing him and treating him terribly. And you see the guard look at him with this kind of empathy and sadness. And you're just kind of like reflecting on what his uh, compassion did to the guard. Um, then there's another scene and his mother, who is kind of against everything that's happening, asks for forgiveness from his wife. And even when he dies back in his, back in the city, uh, back in the city, back in the, the, village. the village, yeah, where he lived, the bell rings, and you mm -hmm. see all the villagers just stop. All the villagers that were against him, that opposed him, mm -hmm. stop and just kind of stare and mm -hmm. reflect on, on what happened. And then finally, sorry, I know this is a lot of information, no, this but it's is hard, so good. It's hard it's to so communicate. Yeah. Then finally, the movie ends, and it ends with a quote from George Eliot right. that mm -hmm. says, for the growing of the good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts. And the things that are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. 
Strong. Talking about those unhistoric acts, the acts that no one will see, the acts that no one will speak about, the acts that will be forgotten. And that was Franz. Um, but we don't want that. Right? <laughs> I mean, we want to be, if we're going to sacrifice, right, we want to be the hero. We want to be memorialized, right? Yeah. We want it to be big. We want it to mean something big, right? Um, and yet this movie shows that Franz and his faithfulness to God suffered greatly for seemingly nothing, and yet um, it wasn't for nothing, mm-hmm. and that God was using it, and that our suffering does matter. So that was such a major theme in the movie, The Just. Yeah. Ooh. And he's definitely a different type of hero, like you alluded to, whereas mm. I think a lot of times, I mean, yeah, to, he, be, to be honest, in American evangelical worlds, it's like we kind of look at, we may look at a movie like Braveheart or The Patriot, for example, yeah. like a Mel Gibson film, right. and kind of look at our hero as this, you know, fighting for his country, fighting for what's right in the face of evil, but kind of in this uh, violent way in, in by means of war warfare. And mm-hmm. there's, to be a World War II film, there's absolutely no war in this movie at all. There's no, right. there's no viol- like yeah, he, vi- war violence. He doesn't in this kill film. any Nazis. He doesn't right. kill any Nazis. I mean, he, right. he doesn't rescue any Jews to safety. Like right. there are none of these kind of big heroic acts. I yeah. was thinking about Braveheart a little bit, yeah. actually, because <laughs> mm. it is an idea of a martyr type movie, which is which is similar. And there's also. Uh, you know, uh, symbolic of Christ on both of them, you know? Oh yeah. Like we can, we can get to that. Mel sure. Gibson kind of has his, uh, Peter and John with them, you know, what I mean? yeah. <laughs> throughout the movie. And, mm. uh, and, in this movie, there's some really, uh, well done symbolism as far as like, you know, the, uh, the judge at the end is very much a Pontius Pilate kind of figure. There's a guy oh, yeah. in his cell that, is saying all this negative stuff. It feels very much like Satan in the garden. Yes, yes. for sure. Uh, even when he's walked to his execution, there are two other uh, criminals with him, which feels just yes. like, yes. and there's one of them that he connects with and one of them he doesn't. So, so it's like, there's probably a lot more that I didn't even pick oh, up man. on, but the symbolism is amazing as far as just a, a crucifixion kind of story. Yes. Um, but what this, I think the thing that, even going back to uh, um, there's a scene early in the movie where Franz is deciding, what should I do? Right. He goes to the church yes. and he sees the guy painting yes. the, uh, you know, frescoes on the wall. Yes. And he's using mm-hmm. this gold leaf, you know, old, old oh, style. Yeah. I have, I have the, the dialogue. Do you want me to read it? Oh yeah. This is powerful. Yeah. Let's go. And to it, me, so the reason short. why I bring it up is yeah, yeah. the scene a little Con- bit too. The reason why I bring it up in this context in our conversation is that, I feel like this conversation shows why this movie is not Braveheart. It's because he's saying, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to show you... It's not glorious. Realistically, a realistic, the true Christ, mm-hmm. and not a... Um, you know, Hollywood. Ra- Rambo. <laughs> God, which, you know, I'm not saying that... I'm not saying that there there isn't an idea of the victorious Christ, sure, sure, sure. the second coming, and... Right. All that. Totally. Yeah. But I think to live out your faith on earth today, yes, it's important to see the hidden life 
concept. Yes. And not always the uh, exalted. Where's yes. Where's the guy's statue afterwards? Yes. You know, where's everybody chanting his name afterwards? Concept. Yes. Just like that George Eliot quote. So anyway, yeah, go to this. Totally. So here's this guy. He's painting. So so when, when people, not everyone can read, the illustrations painted on the church are a big deal to totally. teach the gospel and visually. Which, yes. which, which goes back to Terrence Malick, who's a visual. I mean, yes, it's yeah. all it's obviously him. Yes. That so he's much kind is of, happening. But anyway, yes, yeah, read There's so much read going the dialogue. On. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he has this conversation with his painter. It's one of my favorite scenes in the film. And the painter says, I've painted tombs and churches, churches where people look up and they think if they lived in Christ's time, they wouldn't do what those people did. He goes, I paint suffering, but I don't suffer myself. I make a living of it. What we do is just crest sympathy and admirers. He goes, we don't create followers. Kind of speaking wow. of the church here. Christ's life is a demand. We don't want to be reminded of it so we don't have to see what happened to the truth. Wow. Gosh. A time is coming when men will not fight for the truth. They will ignore it. And then the painter closes by saying, I paint a comfortable Christ with a halo over his head. How can I show what I haven't lived? Someday I'll paint the true Christ. Wow. So think of all this hitting a, you at the summit. Oh, man. You know, with five other people. Right. Oh, dude. <laughs> I was getting hit. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, man. 100%. And so what's so incredible, and I don't, I'm, I'm not 100% on this, but I was talking to John Muck earlier. I think it's the case. So after that dialogue, or let me back up. Before that dialogue, you see a ton of crucifixes. It's all over the movie. There are and you can't help but notice it. And then he has that conversation with the painter where the painter says, I've yet to paint the true Christ. And then after that scene, I don't believe you see another crucifix. Wow. And the reason I don't think you see another crucifix is because Franz is now the, the transfers, image. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He is the image of the suffering Christ. And you see the sufferings of Christ in Franz sufferings and that's where the gospel symbolisms really pick up too like the different stages it's almost like you're watching the book of matthew or something like it's very much like yes seek the sequences and the characters become very s symbolic to the yes. gospels totally and i think too with with malik being a director and kind of you you kind of feel like he is channeling a little bit through what that painter is saying oh yeah as a director as a as an artist himself He's foreshadowing. Maybe someday I'll paint the true Christ, and then right. you and then you see this sort of transformation happen on the in the film, yeah. where where he it's it is depicted as like this is actually what a life like this could mean, mm. you know, like a life of yeah. suffering wow. and giving up your life, and that's like Malik. And really, to me, this is Malik's most. Uh, clearly Christian, like overtly explicit Christian totally. film. Um, and so I think you see that play out in, in the at the end of the film as well, just like you guys are saying, through different means. I mean, he's doing it all over the place in this movie. Totally, totally. Um, there's something else that stood out to me in the film that I can bring up. So um, another thing that stood out to me was as Franz continues to suffer, and man, you are brought into the suffering, not only of him, but also his wife. Yeah. And it is... 
it's he, brutal yeah. and it's exhausting. And at some points, you're like, bro, just pledge allegiance <laughs> to Hitler. Right. right. I, mean, right. I like how they show both have a almost equal screen time. Totally. They do. Yeah. Which is yes. important to see. Ma- the suffering he's causing to his family and then how they're dealing with it. And yes. And the suffering his wife goes through and how she perseveres too. Um, I was joking with John Mark speaking about his wife. I said, the movie could also be titled chores because <laughs> you see her do so many chores throughout the film. Well, when he yeah. leaves, it's all up to her. And I think uh, her sister lives with him and, and his mom and so they have to do everything, do everything on that farm. Yeah. And it's a ton it's of work. It's insane. Yeah, it's on a, Sunday I was like, I don't know if I can go outside and mow the lawn. Yeah, I'm like, man, you know? I get mad when I have to cut the lawn for a couple hours. Exactly. This is like insanity. This is unbelievable. <laughs> it's funny, too, like the emotions communicated through chores. Because oh, yeah. in the beginning, when they're in love, <laughs> oh, it's sure. like they're cutting the grass and like laughing, like, ah, ha, ha, and yeah, like yeah, throwing yeah. hay at each other. Right. <laughs> chores are so fun. And then like later, <laughs> it's like very tense, you know? Totally. And he throws one of his, you know, he's like picking up things and he just throws it against the ground. It's like, chores are stressful you know? yeah yes. and then towards the end she's like realizes what's happening oh, and man. like and it's like man and she's on her chores own. are very heavy and sad yes yeah. oh man well so that was a good tangent so but with franz um one of the things that struck me is how his compassion grows for others as he suffers more and more wow and so at the training camp where he's first thrown in jail, he's interacting with some of the prisoners and there's this voiceover where he says, my burden is light. When I compare my suffering to other people, I see that I have the lightest of yes. sufferings. Yeah. And then, and he gets transferred to Tegel prison. And in the second prison, he's, uh, reflecting another voiceover. And he says, once you never forgave anyone, judged people without mercy now you see your own weakness so you can understand the weakness of others and then there's this scene where i mean he's starving and you see him give some of his food to a prisoner and then get beat because of it and then something i noticed the second time through and watching it was the next scene after that his wife is in the forest and she encounters a thief right and earlier in the movie he had encountered that thief and he kind of looked down with him him looked down at him in kind of judgment and and so it's kind of this like malik does this thing where now franz being someone who has suffered greatly and kind of seeing the crazy thoughts that entered his head and the things that he would do in the severe state of suffering can now empathize with um, this thief and can empathize with others in a way that he couldn't have before. And I just think that's so true of our suffering. When we enter into suffering, no matter what it may be, that brings about love and compassion. The Lord uses that by his spirit to transform our hearts to be people that can love and serve others. And so there's this just weird thing where you think more suffering would just mean like more anger, more frustration. But for Franz, as he walks in obedience to Christ by the Holy Spirit, he's transformed into someone that becomes more like Christ. Yeah. He, he makes a little comment uh, about appreciating the green grass under his feet. Yes. And he yes. says yeah. it's something that free people don't uh, notice, you know, yeah. they yes. don't realize. And you realize how many things that he is, his eyes are open 
even though he's in chains. Yes. And his senses are heightened, and he's noticing all these things. Yes. One, one scene that I love, it's so small, it's after he's sentenced to death, and he's just in a store. I think the police officer is getting something from the store. Oh, sure. And he knocks over an umbrella, yeah. and he very quickly picks up the umbrella and places it back. Like, just wow. his it's so random. And it's yeah. so random. <laughs> Like he's just been sentenced to death in his care and attention for others in the midst of that. And it does point to um, the freedom that he is experiencing. And he talks about uh, another scene that I loved. And then if there are any scenes that you guys want to bring up, we can talk about was um, it's when he first meets with the lawyer that's assigned to him. And the lawyer uh, essentially tells him like, okay, uh, you have to swear loyalty to Hitler, and we can probably get – the way you can do that is by becoming uh, a medic, by working in the hospital. And so Fran says, I'm not going to do that. And so the lawyer says, okay, we'll keep the papers and just think on it while you're in prison, right? All you have to do is sign this piece of paper. It'll all be done. And uh, the lawyer says, if you sign these papers, then you'll go free. And Franz says, I am free. And the mm. lawyer says – then what am I here for? Yeah, and he's like, uh, I don't and know. He's like, I, he's like, Good I don't point, know. Good point, lawyer. Uh, <laughs> and this was a bad idea. <laughs> I think what I what I love is the faith that you see from Franz and the faith that you see from. Why am I blanking on his wife's name? Uh, Fanny. Fanny. Yes, thank you. Uh, it's a biblical faith. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's direct reference to a relationship. With the Lord, they totally. use the word, you know, we serve Him or we we are waiting for His redemption. Like it's not a stoicism kind of thing, right? It's not a just repression of emotion or enduring pain for the sake of it. There's a you see a relationship that He has, and I think in some ways Terrence Malick is saying this is the only way someone would do the things he did. Yes. You would have to have a source like that yes. to walk through it and to uh, walk through all of the uh, different opinions trying to change your mind. Yes, totally. I mean, you you see, you see their faith, you see their obedience in these amazing ways, but then you also see all their emotions. I mean, the way Malik shoots it, it's just so beautiful and raw and real. Um you see them bring things before God. You see them wrestle with God. You see yeah. them uh, lament. Yes. And so as Franz is um, suffering in prison, he's he's crying out to God saying, Father, you're my rock and my fortress. You're my shepherd. Lead me to your eternal light. Give me strength. But then right after that, right after this prayer of faith, it goes to Fanny. And she prays and she says, Lord, you do nothing. Mm-hmm. And she says, why... Um, where are you and why did you create us? I wow. mean, like this, bringing these yes. questions before God, yeah. it's so raw and so beautiful. And then you, she's uh, staring at the camera for some oh of those. Man. Yeah, totally. It's powerful. Oh yeah. I lost it in the theater. When I <laughs> um, and then you mentioned the prisoner that is kind of this Satan figure that comes and yes. tempts him. And so, I mean, that figure says things like your God has no pity. Um, he has abandoned you like he did his own son. Uh, you're so far from your daily bread. Where is this kingdom that the weak inherit? Uh, why did you give your life? Or he's talking about Jesus. Why did you give your life for them? Like all of these, oh, yeah. all of these questions and doubts and 
and things that we wrestle with as Christians to see that just be put on the screen and to see what was happening in Franz internally be brought outwardly in this artistic way that also speaks to what we're dealing with internally was just something that was so powerful as a Christian. Yeah, that uh, that particular scene with the Satan character is really interesting because that actor, uh, he... He kind of contorts his body in interesting ways as he's mm. as he's talking. And there was this thing that I saw on YouTube. This guy was talking about Malik's work, and a recurring theme in Malik's work is snakes. Mm. And sometimes it doesn't always come out in the form of a physical snake, but actually in that movie, Song to Song, Michael Fassbender contorts his body and does a lot of he interesting does. things, like a snake would maybe do. Um, if it were a human. <laughs> and so you get this. So that is a reoccurring theme in his films where he has like this Satan like character that comes to tempt and to kill and destroy yeah. um, the main, the main character in the film. A very discouraging person to be locked up with. <laughs> Not, right. Just, you don't want Satan as your inmate. I'll tell you nah. that much. He won't stop. Yeah. <laughs> He's got one after another discouraging things to say. Yeah, no, it's powerful. Well, okay, so then what's interesting, there's definitely another character who... Now, have you heard any uh, symbolic talk about this guy maybe being like an angel of some kind? Have you heard about this? So, his, so another, his friend? Yeah, so a, fr- so a guy after the kind of negative Satan-like uh, character leaves the cell, later in the, in the movie, uh, someone comes who is a friend to him and he that rem- he met a training that he remembers from training, right? And he, and he has a very childlike kind of demeanor. He's very innocent, a lot very, of wonder, very pure. Yeah. And he's uh, Franz says that this guy's always making people laugh. He's always making people feel better. And there's a there's an encourager aspect of this guy. To me, it feels very much like an angel. And so a friend of mine pointed this out that was kind of tracking on that. Uh, that his friend at one point says, um, I, th- I think it would be cool to have had a wife or a family to have lived. You know, and he talks about in some ways telling Franz, like, you know, you have all these things to be thankful for in a way. Like you did have mm-hmm. a family. You, you enjoyed it for a season of your life. And he's kind of, he's not saying it in a jealous way. He's just kind of like dreamingly saying what a, what a cool thing to have experienced. It would be nice to have experienced that myself. And in, and in some ways, which I, you know, I don't know theologically a lot about angels. I don't, wanna, <laughs> I, you know, this is not touched by an angel here, but yeah. I think there's, maybe there's something, or, or is it? I think, <laughs> I think there's something interesting about uh, the role they have in the scripture where they do um, defend believers or they do kind of encourage believers at times. They bring the word of the Lord at times, but they don't, they don't, they're not, they don't live out the lives that human beings do. Like, like we do have choices, like we can have families, we can, you know, there's certain things that being a human, the human experience is a different experience. So I thought that was a little bit of an interesting, like, like the thought process of like, you know, maybe a a heavenly being looking at a human and saying, you know, as a human, there, there are things that, only humans do that are kind of, you know, things to be thankful for, even though living on earth, there is suffering and is difficult. There's definitely 
something to be thankful for that experience, I think. Yeah, I had not thought about it like that, but the more that I think about it now, just sitting here, it it is a little more like it he, would be kind of strange. It's almost too perfect I that think. he would yeah. show up later and that they would be at the same prison at that time. Seems a little weird because like what what does that mean? Does does that mean that that guy that was in training with him like he didn't go and fight for the Nazis either and that he also and so it seems a little random that they would both end up there at the same time. And then a lot of the things that he says, he makes that comment about, you know, they're talking about uh, how the Nazis have been, you know, killing their prisoners and uh, they, they behead their right. these uh, prisoners. And he makes that comment about oh yeah taking his head and putting it back on his body and basically like flying up into the heavens or something yeah. like that. So it very much is like... It almost, Not that an angel would yeah. say that, but I'm just saying like there's it's yeah, pointing future. to something. But yeah. it gives yeah, yeah, yeah. it gives Franz sort of a idea of what to expect, almost like prepping right. him for the suffering he's about to endure. Yeah. In in a positive light, and kind of saying, you know, it's it's going to be quick, and like this is what you might feel. Out, you know, it's almost like someone gives him encouragement in ways right. that I think is cool. Well, you know, no, totally, and I think. Uh, you see throughout the film how God continues to provide for the family in little ways. Yes. So earlier on in the film, you hear the sisters there because her husband left her. And so now she's living with the family. Well, if she wasn't there, then Fanny would not be able to do everything that she needs to do because the town has completely turned their backs on her. She would be alone and her sister's there to help. There's a moment where she goes and, I didn't fully understand it. She does something with grain, but basically someone who is a, a friend of Franz gives her back more than she gave him. Yeah. He's like a baker. He's or like something. a baker. Yeah. And yeah, he gives her like way. M- He's like kind of the only person in the film or at least in that village that's presented in a way that he uh, still supports. Them yes. Some sympathetic, way. sympathetic to. Their yeah. Cause. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's another moment where one of the priests shows compassion. There are just these little subtle things that whether for Franz or whether for his wife, you just see the Lord's provision and the Lord strengthening them to continue to do the tasks that he's called them to. And I think with our own lives, we can all look back at moments, even in like a small thing. She's uh, taking fruit on a wagon and the wagon right. breaks and everyone is walking by her and just sort of staring at her. And this older woman that she's talked with before comes by and helps pick up the the fruit and the wagon. You just see these little yeah. things. And it just caused me to reflect in my own life in the small ways that have, that the Lord has sustained me and what I feel like he's called me to. And it's, it's powerful. Should we talk a little bit about the church's role in the film and how the 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 bishops are presented, uh, or the priests? Would they be priests or bishops? What would they? Yeah, they're yeah. Um, <laughs> how they were, how they were presented in the film as being like he, he there. There's a couple of moments where he goes to the priest for advice. Basically, he meets with this one, and the response is basically yeah, the local priest, right? That he and, knows, right? And. Uh, the response is basically like, you know, surrender to the, to the country, like fight for the, for the fatherland. They're trying to talk him out of it for sure. Right. Yeah. So what, I mean, and then there's an interesting thing when he walks out, uh, when Franz walks out of the church, he 
says something to Fanny about, I wonder if he thought I was a spy or not. Right. Like, almost kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt. Giving him the benefit a of a doubt a little bit. Yeah. Because it is possible that the Nazis would have been sending spies for that sort I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility, I wouldn't think, in that right. time. But I mean, what do you guys feel about the church's response in this film? And I don't know. Let's just talk about that a little bit. I'm curious what you guys have to say about that. I mean, I think throughout the movie, even though, yeah, I think that moment Franz gives him the benefit of the doubt kind of a thing, that consistent message from that organized religion is that they're not um, speaking to culture the way that uh, the director is saying that Christ would have. Like, right. I, I feel like they're not examples of... They're not really Christ-like examples. They're more of um, examples of compromise, really. And then mm-hmm. to on the flip side of that, I feel like Malik is almost saying like the art, the art, and the artist's job is actually more faithfully, or could more faithfully, you know, like he says, paint the true Christ as opposed to maybe like the institution itself. So there's yeah, like kind of yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, he's exposing a lot of compromise it feels like oh totally anytime there's a priest in a movie i get kind of excited but then also (laughs) nervous because i'm like this is either going to be really cool or this is going to be a train wreck and there were definitely some train wreck moments in that film where i was like no dang it what an opportunity right and i definitely felt that with the local priest that he visits with and I mean, in some ways you can, you understand the priest's response and the priest saying like, listen, this is, you're not going to go fight, you know, just don't, just swear allegiance. It doesn't, you don't even have to mean it. It doesn't mean anything. And you can be with your family. Like I'm thinking about your wife. Um, But yeah, the priest doesn't speak from a place of conviction. The speak, the priest doesn't uh, have a theology of suffering that can lead him to walk with Franz through this. And then the bishop that he goes and sees, who's the next high up, uh, quotes Romans 13 and says, you need right. to uh, support the nation and doesn't really give any response. And Franz leaves. And at first, and this is why, this is an area I'm like, I kind of don't know. Like at right. first, Franz is like, he thinks I'm a, or he thinks I'm a spy. And so, or excuse me. The second time I watched through, I noticed that Franz says he thinks I'm a spy. And so that made me think, well, is is this priest also kind of hidden in the sense that, like, maybe he's working against the Nazis in a, in a different way? Sure. And we don't know. Or, yeah, has he compromised uh, be, for fear of his life? And, I mean, we know that uh, the church in Germany did that. Um and that led to the confessing church with Dietrich Bonhoeffer and sinning against it and the Barman Declaration with Karl Barton, all of that. So <laughs> that <laughs> was very impressive. That was a, no notes were in front no of Brad notes. as he <laughs> right. just um, spouted off some. None of that was right. You just, you just don't know. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to say about that? Well, I, w- my, I guess another question I had was, and I'm just asking for an opinion on this. Do you guys think, so they started filming the movie like back in, I guess, 2016, and the film took like two and a half years to edit. Um, Good lord! Post production because yeah, it, when you're doing 45 minute <laughs> uh, 
scenes. Exactly. Someone's got to go through all that and pick their favorite. Right. And I guess my question is, do you think that um, Malik, like, do you think it's happenstance that some of the content in this film could mirror some things that are happening, at least here in America, with the church or with certain evangelical circles kind of complicity or, or compromising in certain ways politically? Like, do you think that he was speaking in that moment or maybe it just happened that he was telling this story and it, it really just happens to kind of uh, mirror what's happening in I mean, society? I think it was intentional. I think it mm. was a, a critique on culture and the church and kind of a warning, kind of a cautionary tale in a way of like examine yourself, you know, examine your life, examine what you teach, you know, kind of a, that's, you know, a, a fake, yeah. you know, a, that kind of a story. No, totally. I, I agree with you. And I think personally for me, it was scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, I mean, in the, if we, as we've been going through the book of revelation, you know, Jonathan has pressed us to ask in what areas of our life have we compromised to the culture around us and therefore have not borne witness to the true crucified and resurrected savior and what areas have we remained silent that we should have spoken up on and what areas mm-hmm. have, um, have we spoken up on that we should have remained silent in. Right. And I definitely, in those scenes, uh, strike terror into my heart yeah. and cause me to reflect on the current moment Yeah, and the church's voice in it for sure. Yeah. It's definitely the idea of the cautionary tale aspect is like, I, th- I think it's, uh, everyone agrees that the Nazis were bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Today, you yeah. know, in, right. in 2020, looking back, yes, yes, like, yes, yes. that was definitely not a good group to be a part of. Right. And so when you watch something like that, that's using, you know, a, a pretty easy example of evil, mm-hmm. it's, it heightens, you know, the message of, yes. you know, of like, every person's kind of uh, decision they have to make of like, well, what is the right way for me to live yes. today? We all like to think we're Franz in the movie, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> for sure. And or, he, fa- or, or Fanny. Fanny. I mean, and it's the same thing as the painter in the church saying, people look at these Bible stories and say, if I lived in that time, yeah, I would have done this or that. Right. And oh, he's, yeah. And so Good he's basically saying, Good yeah. if you lived in World War II days, of course right. I'm not going to join the SS. I right. mean, but he's saying everybody thinks that. Right. Totally. But do any of these statements feel uncomfortable to you? Right. <laughs> if they do, you know, <laughs> examine yourself. Totally. Totally. So, yeah. yeah. That was powerful. For sure. I think it's important, like in that kind of a critique, uh, I'm sure there's like a genre for, you know, art that is a critique of culture. I'm not sure what the name is, but yeah, it's, I think it's important to not get defensive, but allow it to be a moment to kind of take inventory. Totally. Cause, because I think it's totally valid to take inventory as much as you can. Like, why would you not, why would you dismiss a critique and be defensive and not let the fear of God tell you, wow, totally. <laughs> My eyes are opened, you know? Oh man. Um, 100%. Don't just let it roll off of you. You know? Yeah. 100%.
Well, I don't know if there are any more scenes that you guys want to talk about. I got one more. Okay. I got one quote after you're done that spoke okay. to me. Great. Okay. Maybe it'll tie in. We'll see. Oh, maybe cool. maybe the spirit's doing something. <laughs> uh, at the very end of the film, as as he's being executed, um, it the there's a scene uh, that goes to Fanny, and she's praying, and she knows he's going to be executed, and so she's she's I think she's walking in the scene, and there's this voiceover from her and. When uh, I heard it in the theater, I lost it. Oh, dude. Yeah, and for sure. She's praying to God, and she says, God, you you love him more than I do. Oh, wow, Give him yeah. courage, wisdom, and strength. And just what a statement of faith and a statement that we pray in faith so often when we have others around us in the community that – are suffering and going through great suffering and we hate it. And to look at that person and what they're going through and to come before God and say, God, I know that you love them more than I do. Wow. I know that you care for them more than I do. And I know that this hurts you more than it hurts me. Um, is, is a beautiful act of faith. And as, so when she did that in the theater, I was, I was done. I was done. But then she doesn't just, she doesn't end there. she, she goes to the future and she does this throughout the movie at certain in certain prayers but she pr- she prays in this very kind of light voice the time will come when we will know what this is all for that's at the very end at the very that end that was powerful she's walking mm-hmm. and there will be no mysteries we will know why we live we'll come together we'll plant orchards oh, fields yes. we'll build so we'll build the, the land idea of the back new up heaven and new earth fronts yes, Yes. And she goes, Franz, I'll meet you in the mountains. Yes. Wow. Oh. Yeah. That was very. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Gosh. As a, as a, just as a side, like as a fan of cinema and stuff, the last 15 minutes of that film where you have a lot of that voiceover dialogue you're talking about, you have mm. um, all these other scenes that he's showing. And then there's the scene where he's riding the motorcycle again. They kind of call that back. Yeah. From the beginning of the film, yes, that that's some of the most beautiful film, yes. like making and very heavenly. <laughs> like, I mean, it is kind yes. of a heavenly. And, the, and the score, the score that's over all of that, it's oh, just yeah. it's just unbelievable, man. Yeah. It's so moving. Mm-hmm. I was I was literally yes, I was crying a little bit in the theater when I saw that. Just like blown away at how beautiful. I mean, considering that it's coming from a place of like. Uh, from this Christianity and all this liturgical art that you're just seeing in a th- movie at the summit by a big time director. I mean, yeah. it just, it moved me, man. That's, yeah, it's, it's powerful. Power- yeah. yeah. It, I think, I think the way that he uses nature to communicate these spiritual themes is like really powerful, mm, you know, through yes. the sunsets, through yeah. the, the clouds, yes. through light, the thunder, where lights coming in in a mm-hmm. scene, you know, the windows that let the light in in his jail cell. Yes, um, all these different, you know, as soon as he's executed, it immediately cuts to the river, and a, a lot yes. of right. people use water and river as kind of eternity, kind of symbolism stuff. Well, you know, when she's walking him to the train, they get on a bridge and cross over wow. a river where she's walking him to the train where he goes to basically wow. be executed, essentially. Yeah. And he, but he, but he, mm. and he does, he, he shows nature in 
and really some of those beautiful sh- footage you've ever seen. So beautiful. And yeah. so that like the symbolism just hits home even more. Like I think when we think of heaven, it's hard to know what to imagine. Yeah. But, Clouds, harp, to kind of but to kind of yeah, but to kind of yeah. start with the beauty that Earth does have, mm-hmm. and say that heaven will at least be more beautiful than this kind of at least gives you kind of a benchmark to start from you know like you won't be dis like if you think austria farming is awesome (laughs) you're not gonna be disappointed if you're super into austrian farming (laughs) like i would take that i would take you know showing up an austrian farm in heaven oh totally they really sold it to me i'm good with it you know but uh yeah it's powerful Anyway, yeah, can I do my one little yes. quote? Yeah, so yeah, this is one. me uh, watching for the second time. And um, it was just one of the things he said when he's in prison. Uh, he says, when you give up the idea of surviving at all costs, a new light floods in. Yes. And and to me, I think a theme, because there's definitely the theme of like morality and choosing to stand for something and that kind of a thing. But I think there's also a theme of giving up uh striving for self-preservation to to not live a life based on my only goal is to survive Mm. because a lot of people's uh, um reasons for why he should compromise are that well your family will live you'll live um and so he definitely gives up that idea and and i i kind of feel that like even if you're not living in um the time of Nazis, I do feel like it's easy to have the number one motive in your life be self-preservation, sure. whether you want to admit it or not. Yeah. In a variety of different ways. And the idea of letting that go, that light shining in and a freedom comes a freedom comes. I mean, you can see that in like people like, you know, running the rat race at work or that right, kind yeah, of yeah. idea. But it's like when you let go of um, your own, safety and preservation is no longer your resting on your shoulders. You kind of give that up and the, and then, then you're free to be compassionate. You're free to, um, to see people maybe for the first time and not what will that person benefit me, Mm. but, but how are, you know, we're, we're just human, you know, free to love, you know, um, cause you're not concerned about, uh, getting what I need or getting what's mine, you know? Yes. To me, that was really powerful. Yeah. That he's not in prison anymore because he's given up, even though he's in a physical prison, he's given up these things that were imprisoning his soul, you know? Totally. Well, and I think that gets to an American idea of freedom where so often when we think of freedom, we only think about freedom in the sense that we have the right to choose whatever we want. Right. That we can have multiple choices before us. And a biblical and theological vision of freedom is that we are able to live for that which we were created for. Yeah. That we were, were able to live and exist um, towards the goal for which we were created, which is worship and glorifying God. And with Franz giving himself completely and totally over in this right. way to God— and because it's for him and no one else, because no one else is going, even his wife at the end, it was powerful when he said, do you understand? And she didn't say, I understand. And so like, there is a sense in the wow. movie where he is truly alone wow. in his decision. But she does say, 
but I love you and mm. I support you and I'll always oh, be with you, which is that. super yeah. strong from yeah. her in this act of, yeah, love, even in the midst of her not fully understanding what he's doing. But um, totally, yeah, he does have this this new sense of, of freedom in a, in a way that maybe we don't often think about freedom. Yeah. You know, uh, it's interesting, too, we've talked about the hidden life aspect and just kind of this man living this sort of normal, mundane, he was a farmer, uh, there wasn't, you know, it doesn't seem like on the surface uh, <clears throat> something, you know, in his life that was super exciting, just kind of tend the fields, take care of his family, live a quiet life, um, and then making this decision, and then in the face of everyone telling him that his decision doesn't matter, and what I, one thing that I thought was pretty awesome was uh the catholic church actually recognized him officially as a martyr wow and, and um i guess that was just a few years ago and obviously a film was made about him so mm. the decisions that he made in yeah. the face of everyone telling him it's really not going to make a difference just surrender to the to the fatherland and go and you right. know go be a medic or whatnot mm-hmm. um but yet his story is now you know, being talked about and, and is, you know, more well-known than it was before, yeah, which is pretty cool. Powerful. And there's something about story and what stories will continue to be told. Yeah. Right. Right. Amen. And the idea, yeah, the idea of uh, the hidden aspect of it, the hidden life aspect of it, I think has another layer of being impactful today in the fact that we live in a world where, People want everything they've done to be seen, <laughs> you know. And yes, that, and I'm not. Yes, it's not like I want to get on the soapbox <laughs> of my social media is killing society. <laughs> go, go ahead, man, get on that. But uh, there definitely is. There's definitely a spirit of I want. I need credit. I need. I need to be seen. Yes. Totally. And yes. if I'm not seen, does it matter? Right. And just just the simple title. And that quote from George Eliot, yeah, mm-hmm. um, it was just kind of like unknown tombs, you yeah. know, the unhistoric acts, yes. if you will, that and, history doesn't speak of, yeah, and how important those people are to society. Uh, I mean, it just hits home extra. I, I, I feel like in another time, uh, they might not have to deal with that uh, putting spotlight on yourself temptation. Mm. Yeah. As much as today, we all have a camera, literally. Yeah. And yep. we're able to broadcast it, literally. Totally. Yeah. Um, we all have a little website. And, yeah, I mean, you know, the idea of, like, someone making peace with uh, being hidden is powerful. Totally. But the freedom that the comes freedom. with that. Wow. The freedom that comes with that. When you fast your social media for Lent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> There I mean, was it's a bigger. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not going to delete my Instagram. No, I'm kidding. Maybe I should. I there was know. one other fun little nugget that I saw that I didn't know. I so feel like the next two hours we're going to be like, oh yeah, there was one more no, thing. No, no, it's no, just there's this, so much. This is so much this is not in the film. This is outside the film. Okay, okay. The film received a rare screening at the Vatican, with Terrence Malick making a rare public appearance at the screening in December of last year. Wow. Which I thought was. I mean, for a guy that's never shows up for, I mean, he wasn't even at Cannes Film Festival when it debuted wow. at the Cannes Film Festival, but he he went to the Vatican screening wow. for this film. Okay, and it's rare. I think it's. I guess it's pretty rare for you know films to screen there too. So, wow, I thought that was pretty crazy. <laughs> that is 
That is. It totally. makes. It, I don't know. All those things makes the film feel that much more important, like yeah. bigger than just. Uh, I'm just gonna go see a movie this weekend, grab some popcorn, so, right? So watching it, detach. Watching it a second time, I was like, "Why was this not the biggest movie talked about?" I and yes. so then I went and read some reviews. I was like, "What did people say about this?" You know. Oh yeah. And I read the New Yorker review. Uh huh. And it's coming from someone because a, a lot of different people still. Uh, really celebrate the tree of life. Sure. But yeah. I think the reason why this movie wasn't as received as well is that it is so Christ-like. I think it's yes. hard for, I think it's the same way sometimes some a secular person uh, sees a crucifix and, and they're like, why are you celebrating, you know, an execution mm-hmm. device? You know, like what does this yeah. do for you? And I think it's, I think the same way people don't understand the beauty of the movie is kind of the same way that they don't quite understand the cross, you know? Come on. I mean, I think it, it yeah. parallels. They're like, this movie was just about glorifying suffering. I don't get it. It yes. didn't get, they criticize that it doesn't get into any specifics of the politics of the time. You don't really learn anything about, you right. know what were the the Nazi teachings and what were the responses mm. and, and and it's because the movie is not really about not about that um, the specifics. It's really about the personal journey of choosing right or wrong, the personal journey of suffering, and kind of like as a believer, what you get when you read the Gospels. You know, and so I kind of understand why they kind of just wrote it off as well this doesn't have a lot of uh meat to it there's not it doesn't get that deep and it, you know it's like right. not, i think you've missed a lot of the this the symbolism and the f- philosophical you know the statements it's making you know yeah man i was just thinking about the film and how it was so good for me to watch it during this season. Wow. And because how, it came out right before. Yeah. Yes. And you know, I was, it's one of the last movies that I saw in the theater. Right. It's definitely one of the yeah. last ones. There was only five Gosh. people in there, but it wasn't because of coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> it was because nobody wanted to see it. Exactly. Right. It, yeah. It didn't bring the Christian audiences. Um, anyway, what I was going to say is, uh, you know, I've heard people say we really need to have art right now during the pandemic. And I think, from watching the movie that was just reinforced and for me to be immersed in this movie to deeply reflect on it to have the experience of it i mean like just trying to describe it you feel like such an idiot because right. it's so hard to describe the experience of watching this film and it was so encouraging to me during this season to kind of get out of this season and to be transported to another time and another place with a family that is very similar to me in some ways in regards to our faith journey, but then in a totally different place and time. So there's so much that I share with them, but then there's so much that's different and it was, it was, it was refreshing and it was encouraging to my faith. So yeah, dude, it was a balm to my soul. Last <laughs> yeah. night. It like, really it was uplifting, it. even though it's so sad, it is not, it is. Like, it doesn't yeah. end. It doesn't end without hope. It right. ends it's with a future it. hope. Yeah. Yes, I mean, it's I agree. very yeah, yeah, strong. Yeah. It's encouraging. I yes. Think. And, yeah. And that's where I'm kind of. And that's where I'm like, yes, Come we on, need New Yorker. Come we on. Need, <laughs> yeah, that's right. What are you doing, New I'm Yorker? Like, we need films like this because right now we need a feast. We don't need fast food. Whoa. And like a quick, oh, a quick, a quick, 
You know, like a quick action flick or a romantic comedy can be good and have its value, but right. in some ways it's kind of fast food. You know, it makes yeah. you laugh, makes you detach. And once again, I think there can be value in that. Balanced but diet for your soul. <laughs> right. But vitamins. Man, but man, coming before this w- was a feast and it was good and it was hard. It's not easy to no. watch. You know, it yeah. demands a Not lot. all vitamins it, taste good. It requires... It re- it requires a lot, but it was it was good. Yeah, it was, it was worth it. I would encourage opinion. anyone that if you're still listening, if you <laughs> <laughs> please try uh, find this film. I'm sure you can. I mean, I bought it, but if you're not, I'm I'm hardcore. I love physical copies of you stuff. You can rent so it. You can rent it. You need to watch this film. Try uh, once again. We've kind of laid it all out for you here. It you know if you're not into like kind of more artistic film like this it may be hard to get through a little bit but yep. man it is it's worth the journey if you don't opinion. like good movies yeah. maybe it's not for you <laughs> maybe it's not for <laughs> if you don't have good taste <laughs> we thought we did on a pretentious note it just felt like after everything we talked about right it felt like the perfect end. No, i mean i could see someone falling asleep in it no I mean, totally if you weren't I, I get it need a little caffeine maybe you need oh, some yeah. caffeine try to and try to watch it in one sitting for sure don't break it up like a netflix show yeah, i did that like. though, may, last night I you guess. may you may have to not all of us have I, the fort- I woke up not all of us have it. the fortitude of john mark First, John, t- first time I watched it all the way through. Yeah. John Moore could watch a six-hour <laughs> black-and-white film that's only in one room. And retain with, with, everything. With three words He retains the all the details. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes. Uh, well. And go listen to the soundtrack, too. Actually, the soundtrack's oh, amazing. Yes. Uh, James N- Newton Howard did the soundtrack. I had it written down somewhere. It's abso- but it's James Newton Howard. It's, it's beautiful. fantastic. It's beautiful. I thought it, this is uh, just making this draw out even longer great but what do you think about uh sometimes when it's uh, a, a historic film set in a you know foreign country it's interesting how they're going to treat the whole foreign language thing a lot of times yeah you know there's uh it's in germany everyone sounds british because that's like a thing that right. we're cool with we're like right. anywhere in europe if they sound british okay i'm, I'm it's buying like it we, we get by with if it. they sound yeah. american i'm like oh that's weird yeah but you know tarantino uh they are, it's all original language, which is kind of cool. You're reading the subtitles. Yeah. So it is impressive when they're switching sometimes from German to French. Multiple. French to... There's some Italian in there. English, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. wild. Yeah. Uh, this one, I, I didn't really notice it the first time. I think it's interesting. So they do have... I mean, I don't know Austrian accents, but it, it does feel like... It, def, it definitely isn't like hard English. It does feel a little bit Germanish accent-ish a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting how he keeps uh, the native language in a lot of scenes whenever Franz is like talking to uh, maybe one of the Nazis or different characters. It's interesting how he plays into scenes where you as a viewer don't know what they're saying at all. But you do know in some courtroom. The courtroom scene is one of the big ones where they're basically exclusively speaking in German. The one guy standing up yelling, berating Yes. And you have no idea, but you know what's going Based, on, and yeah. you know what the outcome is already. So it's almost like Malik does this. Like there's almost no point. This ceremony has no purpose. Yeah. You don't need to hear what's being said. It's you just not need about to the feel. details. It's, it's not, not about, the, about the political right. ins and outs of yes. like. Yes. Well, if I knew that now, I can apply. Right. And it's like that's not the point of this movie. No. And so it's no. kind of cool how him, you know, him and his wife talk to each other in English. You you read all the hear all the letters in English yep. and their thoughts in English. So the viewer g- gets into their soul, really. 
even though you're not in on all the details of the life, you know? No, totally. So it's, it's cool. Totally. Here's my last thought. We should do this again with maybe the tree of life. Wow. Or maybe, or maybe silence by Martin Scorsese. Wow, silence. Yes. Yeah. Because silence heavy. So much because there. silence is another film that got snubbed and that was very much under the radar that people did not go see. Yeah. That is pretty strong as well. So obviously a much different director, a much different background. Yeah, different, right. different purpose of the movie. Different purpose of the film. But could be interesting and to, heavy. to discuss. All right. What does well, it mean? I don't even know what it means, really. <laughs> but I watched it. Hey, I'm okay with it. We'll and just have to maybe wait. Maybe left behind. We'll probably, just have, we'll, <laughs> we'll probably have to wait. We'll have, we'll have to wait until Jonathan's gone again. So <laughs> you have to sneak that one. Did <laughs> yes. Well, if you are still listening, thank you. If you do watch a hidden life, reach out to us. Shoot us an email. Yeah. Midweek at shadesvalley.org. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. Direct message us on Instagram. Communicate with us. We want to hear. Your thoughts. Grant Primo. Grant Primo. I know you have thoughts. I was he's a big Malik fan. Oh and great. I, we should have had him on. Why is he not here? Grant oh, no. I'm Grant, I'm so sorry. Does he For, listen to the podcast? Forgive us. <laughs> forgive us. Pl- please. We have erred. But uh, we'll have him on in the future. For I'm sure. sure Patrick Smith would have some Patrick thoughts, Smith too. He too. loves film. Gosh, just people that would have such better thoughts than we do, and we didn't have them on. <laughs> Chris Cargill. I'm embarrassed. Chris Cargill would have been amazing. I'm probably the least. Uh, oh my gosh. Sophisticated takes uh, coming from this chair. Oh well. Well, this will probably end up being a hidden. I represent the. This common will probably man. end up being a hidden podcast because <laughs> <laughs> it will be skipped. But I represent the uneducated. <laughs> oh well. Hey, this has been another episode of Shades.